the Hard Yards, brought to you by Sports Joe. It's got to the short side. Oh, it's Before, but I'm the referee on this team, not you. Hi, Rob. Zeeb's here. Just want to discuss the captaincy next. He's calling. Oh, and Ring Rose comes through. Oh, that is brilliant from Ring Rose. Ring Rose is going here. What a score! This is the Hard Yards. I'm Andy McGeady, and welcome to a very special edition of the show. It's that funny week between Christmas and New Year. So whether you're still working through turkey leftovers, fighting in the sales are actually working. Uh, we've some good interviews lined up for you here to keep you going. In this show, we'll be speaking to Ireland and Munster prop Dave Coyne, Connacht flanker Jay Keenan, former Australian captain James Horwell, and we'll also be replaying some of the best interviews we've done this year. Up first, Pat McCarry was on the road to Munster last week and caught up with Dave Coyne. Yeah, Dave, the, I was actually on the way down uh, reading up on yourself, a few kind of interviews and stuff in the past, but... Uh, there was a funny kind of match program thing you gave a while back. I think it was last year, and there was a few answers. Uh, one of the ones that stood out was about Jack O'Tout playing on with a, a busted nut at some stage, and the respect you have for him. What is it? Uh, there was another one. Where I think just for the hard yards as well. We were talking to James Horwell there, the the former Australia captain, and he was talking about that uh, finger injury he had last year, where the bone popped out and the fact that you want to play on and stuff like that. I was just kind of wondering whether you ever had a, a really tough injury you had to kind of play through a match with at all. Um, I've actually been blessed kind of with injuries um, over the years um, I think like I started playing rugby at 8 and I think my first proper injury um, ever even missing anything with training was until I was about 23 or 24 um, I did the, my PCL I ruptured my PCL in my knee against Claremont um, that was my first taste of injury and again I, I suppose I was lucky enough I've never had an operation I didn't get it operated on um, it was one of them ones where you just you, you give it time and let it rehab um, I've had bumps and bruises I've never had the extremities I suppose that um, Yako Tout had with the, the bus, bus testicle <laughs> um, but yeah look he's a tough character and um, he played on and I think he got stitched up after it so that just goes I suppose a testament of how strong his character is because I was actually came across some of the, the injured lads were in here just doing a, a little bit of training earlier and getting the, they're getting the reward afterwards the breakfast and uh, it's kind of is it a strange thing then for you like you know you've kind of done it before but like getting all the way to like 29 now aren't you like and kind of yeah. never having something before is it do you look at those lads and kind of do you almost like until it happens to you you almost feel invincible in a way yeah you definitely do um, again I suppose look I've been blessed and I do kind of have that invincible feeling I suppose as you put it um, you know you see lads in there every day you know I've been looking at Yako and Ronan and you know it's a tough it is a tough place you know you're in here training every day and um, you, I suppose you, after a couple of weeks you know you start to question things and um, when there's no silver lining I suppose at the end you've no game to play at the weekend it's just in for more rehab and training and um, I think when we're in there training with them I suppose that gives us a bit of encouragement as well you know it, um, we could be after a loss or maybe um, not playing a game as good as you want and you look over at the lads and uh, they're busting a gut um, and they have no game to play the weekend so you just I suppose it's got to be grateful for that you know you, you have a chance to play um, the weekend again and uh, take motivation from that I know what is it uh, speaking of the gym stuff I know Jerry Flannery is still kind of proud of uh, 
his own records that he set and stuff like that as well. Maybe even the likes of Felix likes to keep on top of things. Uh, do you often kind of find that you have to queue up behind the lads to get onto some of the gym equipment? No, no, Jerry, don't mind that. I broke all them gym records when I was about 23. Um, I still hold a record for the max bench in here. Um, what would that be? I was hundred, not to brag, but one hundred eighty-seven point five kilos. Not to remember exactly. <laughs> uh, that was years ago, uh, but yeah, that record still stands, and it'll probably never be beaten. Um, yeah. And then what is it? You were you were speaking there about like having played from the age of eight. Like, it, how did you get into the game? Like, was it like you know your dad or like an yeah. uncle or something that got you into it? Or um, my dad would have played rugby when he was younger. Um, he went to Munchens. Um, my both brothers then went to Munchens in art school and played rugby the right way through. Um, but my dad was the big influence uh, all the way through my career. Um, you know, he would have dropped me out to bowls every Sunday morning at eight o'clock. Came to all my games, um, and right the way up, still goes to all my games. You know, he's um, he's on the gravy train as he keeps saying every ga- every game he gets to go to. Um, they thoroughly enjoy it. Like um, my mum and my dad, um, and he got me into it. Yeah. Is that a big thing? Because I saw it was like on your Instagram there a nice picture of you yourself, your your mum and your dad. I think after the I did the South Africa game, I think at the Aviva. Yeah, just a great thing to all of a sudden the stadium's empty, people are cleaning up around themselves, and there's just you and your folks, and you kind of look back on the journey you've been on as well. Yeah, exactly. Look, my dad. I think it was a proud one for my dad. I remember him telling me, you know, um, I got in a phone call before to say I wasn't involved with Ireland, um, and it was around the time he'd actually lost his job. Um, and I remember him telling me he'd never ever show weakness or I've never seen him get emotional or you know he's a real um, buzzer as we always say like he's just always in top form like and um, you know he never really let me know until recently how much that actually hurt him um, but he was in a, a low place for a couple of weeks but um, he just said that you know that it, it really meant something to him getting back in there and I think he was um over and odd really to to get back in and um get amongst the the irish scene yeah yeah and, and he was just delighted for me i think that you know it, it that i worked my way back in there you know that's the um that i think that's what he was most proud of but that's it isn't it it's, it's like sometimes you um we look at your own folks as well and you think they're again like this back again to the word invincible or you don't yeah. think but it's, and maybe it's something like that actually hits a home to you then just how much you know how well you've done or just kind of how you can actually just open up and say listen I'm upset about this because this is your your profession as well isn't it yeah yeah um look they've always been uh, a complete rock for me and my parents and say my two brothers you know we're a very close family um they support me in everything I do um and as I said as long as I can keep my father in the gravy train he'll be happy out so <laughs> gotta keep playing and, and that was a kind of um like let's say to people then who would have been following the Lions then or something like that you would have a lot of people would have said Jack to start, Keane back him up on the bench, and all of a sudden it was a surprise to people to see Jack not involved at all again. Like, was that a surprise to you? Because like, sometimes you might find out on the Tuesday of the team announcement that you're going to be involved or something. When you found out that um, you know it's going to be Keane and yourself doing the job against South Africa, um, yeah. Well, look, I was surprised um, initially, um, but you know, I think real credit has to go you know to the Irish coaches there as well you know I think um, I remember having a good chat with Sai at the end of the Japanese uh, Simon Easterby at the mm. end of the Japanese tour and he was just giving me little things to work on in my game you know little tip on his plus passes just um, things that and, and he stayed in they stay in contact, constant contact with you know so it's, mm. you, you might be out of the system you think you are but um, you know all credit to Joe like he gave me constant feedback gave me things to work on and 
Um, I think he was happy with my form going into the uh, Autumn Internationals and uh, rewarded me with uh, some game time. So, um, you know, I'm happy to deliver when called upon. You know, that's the, that's the way it is. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think I remained incredibly hungry over the last few years. You know, I do love playing for Munster. And um, it's easy, obviously, to get motivated down here and um, to get rewarded then on the back of some Munster performances was, was great. Is it easy to kind of put your finger on that feeling? Like I say, you've been in good form this season, but how do you, how do you feel when you go out in the field and you kind of know you've put in the good performances recently and you're you're going to do it again today? Is it easy to kind of describe how that feels? Uh, is it what you mean? Is in like just say let's before you, you go out on the pitch and it's just like you just know you're going to do the job today, like before you even head out there. Yeah, look, everyone's mindset's different, you know. I uh, I would always kind of feel confident and relaxed on the pitch. That's just always the way I have been. Um, um, yeah, I suppose that's everyone's different how they feel on the game. You know, I, I do always kind of feel quite confident in the pitch. That's just the way it is. Yeah, and I was talking to um, just Chris Farrell there before before we came in here today, and he was yeah. just saying, said talking to Dave, and he's like, oh, you'll have you'll have to crack with Dave. Like, you know, is it yeah, is yeah. that your thing in the squad? Like, is it kind of one of the main messers in the squad? Uh, I wouldn't say <laughs> messers, but like I like to drive on the crack. I just think it's um, you know. You, you're in an environment here with 40 lads and um, I've been here for since the academy now and I just see the difference in um, having a positive and negative atmosphere around the place and mm. um, when the place is in when there's a positive vibe around the place and everyone's enjoying coming to work enjoying the crack enjoying playing really hard really training really hard training really well um, it, it, it drives the club in the right direction you know you need you need to have that in every in whatever you do you need to have a positive environment in whether it's at work or I know we're a professional sport here and do I drive on the crack in the dressing room 100% do I drive it on after bosses 100% would I make sure I train as hard as I can 100% you it's all part mm. and parcel of it yeah because that's it it's like, it's like sometimes could it go against certain lads if you're a little bit laid back that people kind of assume this lad's not taking this seriously. Like you know, even just for example, talking to Ian Henderson recently, he's a guy who just seems relaxed as, a, as anything. But he'd say, "Listen, I work hard." Like you know, would it be yeah. similar for yourself? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I, I think like um, you know, you don't start from one for that many years if you're not hundred percent dedicated to your craft. Like, and I'd say with you know, Hendy, I just I, I noticed um, he's really taken on um, the lineout role up at Ireland mm. at the moment, and you know, he's an incredible player as well. And people think he's real relaxed, but. You know he's incredible and inte- he's an incredibly intelligent fella. You know and I, I know he's excellent at maths and other things, being a manchild and all the rest of it. Um, but yeah, he he he's a real dedicated competitor and people have this image that he's relaxed, but he puts in massive um, groundwork into analysing opposition's lineouts and uh, he's a very good lineout operator now. And the um, th- some of the boys were all had uh, two days up in Carton House there, kind of a little bit of a camp again. I heard um, John Cooney was running out half for, for most of it because a lot of the boys were kind of just rested on the sidelines and stuff. But is it an intense enough kind <coughs> of, or like when do you actually, I suppose my main thing there is just like, when do you feel kind of comfortable? Do you, or do you ever feel comfortable going into Ireland camp or is it always a new challenge? Um, I think you got to feel comfortable feeling uncomfortable. We had that saying, I think, before, uh, you know, it's a two day narrow window and, you know, Joe expects you to have your. Uh, detail nail going in and um, he will look after you he understands like that you know we're just on the back of two very uh, brutal uh, our mm. European Cup games you know, against Leicester and same with uh, Leinster had those Exeter games and 
Ulster and Connacht as well and you go in and um, you know lads are carrying bumps and bruises so, so they understand that they looked after us but at the same time you know we, we had a walk through and um, our detail was nailed on there and then on the pitch um, I was actually one of those uh, fellas taking a break with a coffee <laughs> on the sideline uh, I, I just managed a bit of a dead leg at the moment I had a, had a couple of bruises over the last couple of games but um, you know they trained really hard um, you know they, they look after you I suppose physically but uh, mentally you got to be really dialed in yeah the, 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 um, we're even just chatting Keith was saying we had the, the grandstand view watching it from the bench now at the weekend but talking about that, that win against Leicester over on Welford Road and even seeing Johan take a breath at the end and take it all in it was like one of these brilliant Munster performances of the past that I suppose the, the thing I kind of thought stood out at the end was like the pictures when you guys are all sending from the dressing room and um, I actually thought it was interesting to see it was all the forwards in did you fit everybody in the one dressing room or did you have to break it into backs and forwards no Flad drove that um, I think he wants to get a picture for the new bear with, his, uh, with all the forwards and the good work he's doing here um, no we just look at emotion was high you know we'd won a big game mm. double header you know I don't think the lads had been I don't know the exact stat but they hadn't been beaten in a was it 11 years maybe so, or 19 yeah, back yeah, to back yeah uh, back to back so um, there was a small bit of history in that and um, you know if you're constantly looking at the following week and you don't actually enjoy the moment enjoy beating Leicester in Welford Road you know th- th- that's what it's all about you know mm. soaking in those wins sitting in the dressing room sitting beside your mate take a photo have the crack just really soak it in and enjoy it because it doesn't last forever and you don't get the, these wins are special like, and I I think as the years have gone on with me and Ruby I've really before you know I was always uh, you might play a good game or um, you're like oh no I need to get this right now for next week and it's always next week but uh, I think the more you enjoy these wins because uh, they don't come around very often mm. um, I think that's the real important thing yeah and it's, it's I think that feeling again a couple of lads have spoken about the feeling of waking up in bits the next morning because all, all of a sudden like the adrenaline wears off the, maybe the, the beers are too wear off and you're kind of I remember even Keith speaking about that in the past and saying that actually he kind of enjoys that now as well it's the feeling that you've actually done your job and now you're actually suffering for it the next day but it's a kind of good type of suffering as well I would have he probably gets that once every couple of weeks we're waking <laughs> up for the last 12 years of it uh, yeah look um, as I said I I was the last couple of games I, I, at the end of the the South Africa game I got a knock on my shoulder and it was pretty bad enough I had a bit of a tear I think in my rotator cuff and um, I was managing that through you know the Argentina week and then when we came back here we had obviously massive games here then I got a dead leg a pretty bad one against Leicester the first game and straight away then in the second game I got it again so um, I've been mar- managing those kind of bumps and bruises the last couple of weeks but the body um, hasn't felt a hundred percent, you know. But I think you just gotta, um, you know, they're huge European Cup games. You just gotta pony up and uh, be as physical as you can with what you have. Um, but thankfully, they're I'm on the men now, and I'm nearly back to hundred percent. And we've seen what is it? It's actually great to see you boys have been having the crack with the likes of Peter and CJ over the last couple of weeks, and not giving them an easy time about the contract stuff it's kind of it's good to even hear now that it's all been sorted hasn't it but I could, have, I could have told you weeks ago they were going nowhere but sure look that's uh, I know we, yeah, look we drive on the crack here um, you know as I said I'd be the big enforcer in that um, and it's obviously great that we've retained Pete and CJ um, I was telling them that they better not let me do an interview before because I'll I'll tell their heart 
carried to the other a few straight away and that they're going nowhere they'll be here they can love all them away um, <laughs> but no look it's great that they're here now and then you were kind of saying you were out today was this you get a message is this a the group whatsapp or anything like that CJ the uh, there's a, yeah an app there huddle that we're all part of and um, just I suppose it's nice to let the, all the players know first what the story is with uh, teammates so yeah he signed. For, we we found out he signed for three years. And that, and then that's it. Then you just and then you can kind of go the cat's out of the bag. We can just then we can say, look, you don't have to keep going to the papers and bluffing them all with all these ridiculous offers from billionaires in France, and you're here for the next few years. <laughs> Happy days. Um. So actually, with the, the what I kind of wanted to finish up was about the idea of maybe playing over the kind of festive period because I saw that was your uh, your debut was against Connacht, I think on the twenty sixth. I think it was twenty eleven. I think and you played an interpro game and. Can you remember much about that to lead yeah, up to that game? Yeah, I actually can because it was John Hayes' last game. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can. I remember being incredibly nervous. Uh, you know, your first game, um, I think you can never replace those feelings. You know, you're, no matter how much people tell you don't be nervous or whatever, I'll, I'll never forget I was extremely nervous. But then you get on the pitch and it's every other game and now I never get nervous before games, ever. Um, certain people do. I get excited, kind of more excited um, than nervous. But uh, definitely that, and I'll never forget my. I think my first start was Scarlets. Um, very nervous for that, and after that, then I think the nervous just go. You get used to it it's like anything else. Yeah, yeah. And then the um, what would that have been like then? Let's say you knew you were playing. What's Christmas Day like then? Because you're probably with the family, or are you with the team? Uh, Christmas Day. Right? Um, I think I was still in the phase of trying to put on weight, so it's probably extra turkey and cranberry sauce. <laughs> Um, yeah and just with family you know Christmas Day I think I remember actually having that we were um, at it at home with parents um, yeah look it's just another day it's eat it eat feed up and <laughs> get ready for the following day and that's it now what is it just once this is over back into Europe again then and um, just how, like as a team confident amongst yourselves about how things are going and you know what you did last year which is like a crazy year that you guys went through but want to kind of push on again 100% want to push on yeah look it's um, the you know after the two Leicester games they're obviously um, big wins for the, the club you know and it put us in a good position in Europe but that's all it is it's a good position um, you know you've Leinster now on Stevens Day huge game Ulster Connacht and you're back into European Cup games so they don't get easier like it's this this is a real I think testing period for the club and it's a really exciting period because you're playing three games in however many days 12 or whatever days and um, you know you've got to really test the strength of the squad here uh, and you know I think um, Johan is really um, targeting these games to see where fellas are at and you know he's still um, Johan's a really good listener and um, you know he, he didn't come in and try and change the whole thing straight away uh, you know he's given us some little nuggets here and there but um, he's just making slight improvements um, where he thinks feels fit and um, I think he's really looking forward to these three weeks to seeing the strength and depth that's in Munster Rugby at the moment yeah perfect well listen cheers for that and good luck now with the rest of the season as yeah, well. yeah yeah great stuff there from Dave and Pat now Connacht are losing the services of flanker Jake Heenan at the end of this season the open side joined Connacht in 2013 and enjoyed a successful time in the province as they won their first Pro 12 title in 2016 we spoke to Jake about his path to Connacht and how he'd never heard of Galway before Pat Lamb came calling. Murder, she wrote, is the perfect thing to watch during the day. You can watch 
watch the start, fall off for 40 minutes, come back, see the end, perfect. You know what I mean? You've missed nothing really. Remember, Rod Kev in the Kalina used to have to bring two TVs into the room, one for you for Cheltenham. <laughs> like every red-blooded male in the country, he'd be watching the horse racing, whereas I'd have a TV for myself for things like Murder, She Wrote and Houses Under the Hammer. Murder, She Wrote is the perfect thing to watch during the day. Welcome back to the Hard Yards. Uh, I've got Connacht's flanker, Jay Keenan, on the line. Jake, hello. How you doing? I'm good. How are you doing more to the point? How's the body? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. I'm um, look, I'm three weeks into uh, a shoulder surgery, um, which uh, which wasn't ideal, but uh, I think the shoulder had been had been at me for a while, and, and then finally um, finally gave way a, uh, a few weeks back. So, um, mate, been a bit of a bit of a tough season, but uh, you know we're back on the mend and. Um, and looking up again, you know. You've had a few tough years. Um, you haven't played for Connacht as often as you'd like, I'd say, but I, I want to go back to, to how you arrived there because it's not often that we get uh, an NZ under-20 player moving across the world to play over here. So how did that happen? Yeah, well, it was an interesting way because, I, you know, I was, um, obviously I played 20s and I was back with uh, Auckland with the province um, in the development sort of system, hadn't been given a, a full contract there. Um, I, I look, I was looking to play provincial rugby in New Zealand somewhere. Um, at the time, I didn't have a you know a, a hard offer, or, or you know I'd had I'd spoken with coaches who had shown interest, but you know I hadn't actually had anything on the table at the time. And um, I I had been uh, approached by. Uh, an English club, and obviously I knew Pat Lamb from back home, um, who was in need of a seven, and um, and asked me to come up here. So I guess it was, you know, at the time it was, you know, it was better than anything else I had, um, an opportunity to, to travel overseas. I was a bit unsure because I was very, very committed to the New Zealand rugby system at the time. You know, it's not something you really consider as a as a young uh, player in New Zealand. Um, but uh, but again, it, w- it was the best thing I had on offer. Um, took the punt, and and I'd say the best move I ever made. And where were you? Where were you moving from? Where are you from in New Zealand? Oh, I'm initially from Whangarei. It's um, the province of Northland, about two and a half hours north of Auckland. Um, but I was in the Auckland development system. I was going to university down there at the time. Hmm. And like you know, you're 20 years old. It, that's that's a big move, or is that just? You're like any twenty-year-old from uh, that part of the world. You want to do your want to do your travelling. Yeah, we were always encouraged as kids to, um, you know, by my old man to, to sort of, you know, to get out and um, and, and see the world. And I, you know, obviously I'd, I'd moved home and gone to uni. And I think too, when you're travelling, uh, you know, when you're coming into a sports team, you, you're with a lot of like-minded people. Um, I moved in with a couple of young fellas within. A week or two of being here, and and you you kind of just get on with it, and um, you know you're surrounded by a load of mates. I suppose the day you walk in, so I think it's it's probably a lot easier transition than um, than most jobs. Uh, you know, when you come into rugby, obviously you uh, you are surrounded by people a lot similar to yourself. So um, so like yeah, a bit daunting at first, but um, mate, once you get into it, it's it's uh, mate, it, was, it was happy days. Yeah, and when when um, when Pat was trying to bring you over. Uh, was he was he talking Connacht or was he talking potentially Ireland as well? 
He was talking Connick at the time, um, you know, the project, so that was the contract that was, um, it was kind of on offer to, um, you know, well, to myself as a as a foreign player. But, um, you know, look, it was just Connick at the time. And, and I think the big one, it was fully professional rugby, um, whereas, you know, back home, again, with looking to play provincial rugby, that's still semi-professional, that's sort of three months of the year. Um, so this was, it essentially, you know, I was in a very long line of, of sevens waiting to get a, a super rugby contract, you know, and I, I was still a fair way off that. Um, so this was an opportunity for me to, to play full-time rugby where I can commit myself fully to, to bettering my craft, um, my body, to, to becoming a better athlete. Um, and, you know, and I, I think I, I saw that as well. You know, my game took massive strides my first year here. Um, you know, and I had the opportunity to play against um, Sean O'Brien's and Terry Dusatois and, and legends of the European game. So um, I think essentially, you know, I skipped the queue in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, again, it was fantastic. Do you see a difference in the way that uh, that sevens are made or sevens are, are played in the New Zealand system as opposed to in Ireland? I think... Um, you know, I think, well, since I've played seven, I think the role has kind of evolved a bit. You know, when I was, um, certainly when I was school in school, they were sort of more fetches, but the way the laws have changed around the breakdown and that, it's, it's become uh, more a confrontational position. I think that the game up here uh, in general is more confrontational. You get a lot more teams that, that come out um, solely to beat you up for, for 80 minutes, you know, so I think you've, you've got to be able to, to handle that. Um, I think the thing in New Zealand is, is, you know, there are a lot of really talented, uh, naturally physically talented players that, um, you know, the likes of, of Adi Sevillas, um, Sam Kane, I don't know if you know the Pariah brothers, you know, very fast and, um, you know, could, could easily be backs kind of thing. So you get a lot of, um, a lot of those guys sort of slotting into seven. Um, whereas I, I suppose up here it's probably a bit more that robustness and, um, being able to dominate collisions. Hmm. The um, so, so you moved over, and uh, what did you what did you expect to find when you were here? Um, did you expect to be winning a Pro 12 title? No idea. To be honest with you, mate, I'd never um, I'd never heard of Galway before. A, a friend of mine had actually played played Galwegians and played uh, Connacht under twenties before, but that was you know the extent that I'd heard of it. Um, I made. I, I suppose that I'm not really sure. To be honest with you, it was yeah. again. It was um, a lot of it was really a personal goal to be playing that fully pro to be improving as a player. Um, you know, even that that first year, I remember we were. Gee, I think we we were one and ten or or some horror start to the season. And uh, mate, I loved it. I loved it. I, like it was disappointing and it was tough getting the losses, but you know, I loved everything about professional rugby. I, I loved. Um, you know, I love getting called out in meetings and, and learning from it. Uh, you know, I loved running out in front of the crowds and, and playing against other professional athletes. Um, so, yeah, that was, you know, I suppose my expectations were, were probably more around myself, um, you know, and, and I just sort of grew and learned with the team, I suppose. So it's been, as I said earlier on, you probably haven't played as many games as as would have been ideal over the last uh, the last few seasons. So, are you a guy who who struggles when you're ruled out of the game, or do you have stuff outside the game that keeps you sane? 
Um, yeah, look, I, I think I've, I've kind of, well, this is my fifth season, um, and I've essentially had, had two seasons which have almost been write-offs. Um, it was the was it the 13, the 14, 15 season was it? I think I played five games, and, and look, this season I've, I've played three, I'll be lucky to get another one, so um, so you know, definitely, definitely would have liked to have played more games, um, but uh, but you know that's kind of, that's kind of the way it goes. I think yeah, in terms of dealing with injury, you always look to get um, you know to have things outside of rugby to, to keep you sane. You know, I've done a bit of study, uh, worked with a few charities. I did a bit of an internship last time down at the university. Um, just little things to check your mind over. I think in terms of of the rugby, I think everyone struggles. You know, it's something you, you don't wish upon anyone. Um, you know, long-term injuries in professional sport, but unfortunately, it's you know that's part and parcel with the game. So uh, for me, it's you kind of have to reset yourself. You have to reset your goals. You have to you know go back to why you're doing it in the first place. Um, you know, I think if you ha- if you haven't got that solid foundation, if you haven't got a, a solid reason for you know, for turning up every day in the first place, I think that's where you'll, you know, where you'll come unstuck. Um, like I said, re- resetting your goals and, and they're working towards trying to come back a better athlete, um, try to come back knowing something different about the game or or knowing a way to reinvent yourself a small bit, just little things. Um, and I suppose the other one are, are small goals, you know, setting yourself small challenges, um, being your rehab or, or off-feet, Conditioning, um, just to try and keep you uh, keep you in line and, and keep you striving for something which is which is going to be positive for you in the long term. Hmm. I was looking back at that uh, New Zealand under twenty side that you're a part of. Uh, you're going back to the 2012 Junior World Championships. So, right, yeah. did Pitaki give you a call before arriving up in Galway? Did he? Uh, I, I talked to him. Like he, he had. Um, He'd obviously work with the management here and, and signed and um yeah, and I was chatting away to him and letting him know what the place was like. So um oh it's nice it's nice to have a uh, see a few old familiar faces sort of come around. You're getting a few more of the um yeah, the boys coming up this end of the world now. So Yeah, nice Reese Marshall as well down in Munster. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. The um, but how did you? It, this might be a really stupid question, right? But it always interested me mm. how how someone starts in the game. So were you just playing rugby ball, playing with rugby ball when you were like two years old, or was there some other way you ended up playing rugby? Uh, we we were quite a strong um, sort of a rugby family, I suppose. I grew up with uh, was me, my dad, and my brother, and uh, you know when we were kids, he would he was playing rugby, and he got a bit old, and and so obviously we were playing, and and he was coaching, so. Um, you know, this is something we we always kind of did. I, you know, I don't, I don't think I was very good for for a long time, to be honest with you. Um, but it was something I, I took a lot of pride in, uh, be it pretending I was good or, or whatever it was when I was a kid. Um, you know, my, my older brother was a very good rugby player. He um, he didn't follow up with it, but he he made a lot of the the underage rep teams, um, which. You know, for me, was was just the coolest thing ever. You know, so so then that was something I, you know, I pushed myself and I wanted to do, and um, and obviously my dad was was supporting me and and helped me get along to it. So um, I suppose it was the environment I grew up in. You know, my friends played rugby, my family played rugby. Mm. Yeah. And Patlan brought you over, and now Patlan's gone. 
Um, how is Kieran Keane settling in? What changes have you noticed? Uh, good. Look, Kieran Keane's obviously a different character to, to Pat. Um, but, you know, he, he's brought his own game along with him, which uh, has a lot of the same fundamental basis. You know, a lot of the... We, we want to score tries and um, we want to exploit the opposition. We want to play very quickly. So I think there hasn't necessarily been a mindset change. Um, maybe just a different way to go about it. So, um, but no, mate, he's, you know, look, he's, he's uh, proven to, uh, to be a very good coach. And, and I think a lot of the boys are really enjoying him. He's, you know, giving boys their chances. And, um, you know, I think that's the, one of the big ones we've seen, uh, you know, a guy like Shane Delahunt who's been performing and he's been given opportunity and, and been rewarded for his performances, which has been really good. So um, I think with any coach, you know, like, like I mentioned earlier, uh, mine and Pat's first season, uh, you know, we were coming into Christmas, we were we had that big win against Toulouse, which I think might have, might have saved a, a few of our bacons kind of thing. So I, I think it's always a tough adjusting period, but, um, but I think we're definitely going in the right direction. He's been fairly direct in some of his post-match comments. Is he? Is that a kind of a little taster of what he's like with the squad? Ah, uh, yeah. Look, there's no, um, you know, there's, there's no beating around the bush, I suppose. And and I think, um, you know, I think that's that's really important within the team. You know, that, that we all know where he stands. Um, you know, if, if there's something that he doesn't like, he he addresses it. And you know, and, and I suppose we can address it as a team and, and move on. Um, you know, whether that's uh, whether that's always the the right thing to do with with the media, I'm not sure. It's not my job, fortunately. But um, but look, I, I think it's you know it's, it's really positive in house anyway that um, that these sort of things don't go, um, I suppose, don't go unnoticed and and they get um, they get dealt with head on. Hmm. So what's next for Jay Keenan? You're, uh, it's confirmed you're leaving Connacht. Um, is it back to the Pat Lamb show, is it? Uh, look, that's, um, that hasn't come out just yet, so it's not uh, not my place to, to release, unfortunately. Oh, I have to ask. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> you, uh, but, um, no, mate, I'm going to... Uh, it's it's going to be released in January, so I'm going to have to... Uh, have to hold fire until then to comment on it unfortunately no that's fair but you reckon you'd, you'd possibly get back on the pitch for Connacht this season mate I'd love to you know and, and I'm still holding on to that um, you know this this injury kind of kind of hit me pretty hard it was a very hard decision to leave here you know look I, I love this place and all my friends are here and um, it, it does feel like home so it was a very hard decision to leave Um and you know, and, and to go out the way I went out was uh, was pretty disappointing. So I'm still holding on to the fact that, that that I might get one last run out in front of a home crowd, or or you know, get to pull on the jersey one more time, um, which uh, look which would be fantastic. But um, you know, we just at the same time, and in, in my experience with shoulders is, is you can't rush them. They you know the number one thing for them is time. So uh, look, I, I can only control what's in, within my power and. At the end of the day, um, you know, look, I can't rush anything for the sake of my career. So, um, so hopefully, hopefully. Well, listen, fingers crossed, you from all here. Good bill of health for the future, Jake Keenan. Thank you very much. Thank you. Jake certainly made a big impact on Connacht. And next up, 
On the hard yards, Pat was talking to former Wallabies captain James Horwell ahead of Harlequin's December 30th game against Northampton Saints at Twickenham. James, great to have you on the hard yards. Um, just, just wanted to start off with something. Just looking back um, at your own career there, I just saw that you you took over the captaincy of Queensland Reds from an early age. or I think you were 22 or 23. Um, what was that like for yourself? Was it a big challenge? Because there would have been a lot of experienced players in the squad at the time. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, it was certainly pretty unexpected. But yeah, it was. A, it was a big. It was an interesting time. I was 22 uh, at the time, and yeah, that was obviously, as you said, we had a lot of senior guys, guys that had played, uh, you know, over over 100 games for for the Reds, and obviously some season test internationals. So that was. Um, look, I, I felt quite honoured to be able to do it, but obviously there was a huge responsibility that the coach and the, the organisation had put in put on to me to, to try and help deliver and uh, look it was a it was a challenging time it was a you know we had some up and down results through those seasons but uh, look it was uh, was a, it was an interesting time and something I, uh, I really enjoyed and it probably made me uh, look at myself a little bit more uh, as a 22 year old probably you know two years into my professional career yeah sort of not thinking too much about that everything's pretty good and you just sort of go along for the ride a little bit but yeah. probably made me uh, reassess where I'm at and look at what I need to do and how I'm uh, how, I, how I carry myself and I suppose of the, the guys that you kind of played under even because um, it was a, a few years after that before you kind of got the honour then for Australia but of the guys you played under um, you might have captained you for the Reds and for Australia were there any guys who kind of stood out as kind of just these tremendous leaders Oh, look, I think you know I was quite lucky to have a lot of guys. A guy uh, that was not really full time captain, but I thought did captain occasionally for the Reds was a guy called David Croft. Mm, yeah, um, he did end up playing a few, played a few caps, but unfortunately he was stuck behind George Smith and Phil War as an open side. So probably um, that that hurt his Test career a little bit. But he was a guy that I. Uh, had a very close relationship with and still speak to quite regularly these days and he's a he's a great guy I thought he's you know he's just sort of dogged attitude towards you know playing and 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 driving the team forward was something that I sort of you know really respected and, and really enjoyed the way he went about things um, you know he's a pretty pretty sort of yeah as I said tenacious sort of guy put did put everything into every session every every ounce that he could um, and you know, probably retired much younger than he would have expected. But you know, as he said, he just put literally everything he could into it, and his body couldn't take it anymore. So he was a guy certainly that I looked up to coming through, and a guy certainly I used for a couple of seasons there while I was captain to to help me through some uh, some tough times. Yeah, yeah. And the um, I suppose if you're looking at then what you've kind of experienced in the game and what you've picked up from other guys like like Dave and, and the likes. Um, you know, what would you kind of say, like, if if you're a captain, the most maybe a couple of the most important elements of being a captain that you can bring to your team? Oh, look, I think being a captain, the first, probably one of the most important thing is to make sure that you've got your own backyard in order. Mm. I think it's important to make sure that, you know, if you're going to ask guys to do things and, and request, you know, as high standards of people, you need to make sure you're upholding those standards yourself. Um, you know, no one likes to be told to do something when they look directly back at you and go, "Well, why aren't you doing it?" Yeah. So I think that's that's probably the number one thing that I've, I've learned and realised that I've got to continue to do. Um, you know, and, and secondly, I think it's all you know, actions can speak louder than words. You know, if you continually set that right example, guys will follow. Um, 
organically. You know, you might have to pull some guys with you, but I think you'll be surprised at the amount of guys that actually visibly see people doing stuff and it, it sort of becomes a, a bit of a catch-on. So guys will be see you doing something and then eventually another guy, another guy, and eventually snowball into something that I think can help the team. So, look, I think that's the, the, the probably the two big ones that I've, uh, I've found um, that work for me. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of other things that go with it. And, you know, getting to understand your players is important. Understand everyone's different, so no one's exactly the same, I think, is important. Uh, in this day and age, you've got to make sure that you can manage people differently. Yeah, yeah, and, and there's, there's a couple of ones I remember just um, from an Irish perspective, I suppose, um, kind of having, I think you were over here, Joe Schmitz, one of his first games and, and beat Ireland. I remember being at that the that game where you guys were, were very good. And But then I, even going back a couple of years to um, when Ireland uh, beat you guys at Eden Park, it, it just, I, I kind of remember at the time you spoke so well um, you know about Ireland maybe deserving it and stuff in the post-match press conference but th- th- that was the kind of question is like the post-match stuff it's kind of something you have to do all the time as a captain are there times where there's, you just prefer to be anywhere else in the world than, than facing the media and fronting up <laughs> oh yeah look I think it's what I, you know I understand why we do it and you know it's tough to I think you know I've let my frustrations get the better of me sometimes in those post-match interviews and I think it's mm. You know, the key is to, to understand that there is a reason this is happening, that, you know, the TV and the, the people at home and the people watching want to want to see this, and, you know, immediately after the game, and there's a, there's a reason for it. And so it's just about, you know, speaking honestly, because that's what people want. People want you to be honest, you don't, but it's also about probably managing things inside, that you know, the frustrations in the game. And I think it's, um, look, it's, it's, a, it's a great part of the game, you know, watching... When you watch, when you're a fan watching games, it's nice to hear what people think of the game and how they're approaching it. So it gives a different view, and I understand it from that point. But yeah, look, it's it's a, it's a key part of the game, and I think it's something as a captain you just got to understand that that's part of it, and uh, you need to manage that as well as you can, and you know, be honest, but don't uh, don't let the frustrations get the better of you at that time. You just sort of take a breath before you before you answer the questions. Yeah, yeah. There was, I'd say there was a time you were having to take a few breaths. Was uh, I was looking back at a few things, and uh, I think we even ran a story on it last year on on sports Joe uh, and Joe as well with uh, the finger break that you had uh, playing against Leicester. <laughs> it, how is the finger now? It's actually pretty good. Um, there's a little scar there, but yeah, look, it's um, surprisingly good. Um, I was quite lucky in the incident that it, it was just a pretty clean dislocation. Um, I didn't actually rupture any tendons or anything, which is, which would have caused more issues. But yeah, it, um, the problem, the main thing is in this cold weather, the, it gets a little bit sore. It sort of aches a little bit when it's really cold. Um, so I've probably done something to the nerves there. But other than that, that's uh, it's working as per normal, which is which I'm quite lucky about because you know I feel you know when you have those compound dislocations or fractures, you can sometimes tear. Uh, some key tendons and I was very lucky that uh, that didn't happen but yeah it, it, the picture uh, sort of certainly went viral <laughs> and it probably looked worse than it actually was yeah cause, and, and like how did it happen again and then did, did you did you actually at the time wanted to play on didn't you uh, yeah look so I got it stuck in a in a jersey so uh, the Leicester Tigers guy jumped and we'd sort of misread it so I put my hand on the, on the back of his shirt and as he's come as he's come down from the line, my finger just got caught in the in a ruffle on the jersey, and just it kept going. My hand stayed there, and you know, you I don't know if you've ever dislocated a finger, you sort of feel it go, 
Um, and you're like, damn, that sort of hurts initially. And then I looked at it and realised that there was there was a bit of blood coming out. So obviously I'd um, I'd ruptured it completely out the socket and out the skin. Um, so I guess the key thing for me was to try and get it back in. I, um, you know, as I said, when you dislocate a finger, which I've done a, a few times uh, throughout my career, you know, you, the immediate pain, you get a relief as soon as it gets put back into joint. So that was probably the only thing in, the, in my head at that point in time is someone just put it back in and therefore hopefully the pain will subside and we can, we can uh, assess what the, what the damage is. Um, so the, the physios and the doctors had a fair few cracks on, on field uh, and couldn't get it in. So uh, I had to come off the field and, um, yeah, we've got to put it back in, in the medical room uh, after using a, you know, some anaesthetic just to, to numb off the, the joint a little bit. Yeah, wow. Because um, there was actually like it's um, there. There are often guys you kind of want to play on and stuff. And I, I remember from the uh, the twenty thirteen Lions tour uh, when you were playing against uh, Paul O'Connell and he broke his arm. And I remember I think one of the other forwards was saying they couldn't believe O'Connell was still playing on and still getting into a scrum. Were, were you on the pitch at the time? Do you remember the lads talking about that at the time? Yeah, I, I do remember it happening. I don't remember uh, and talking about it. Look, I think it's. You know, I think it's one of those things in these big games. You know, you get the, you try and get the adrenaline to take over, and I think it, you know it's one of those things that you sort of don't really think about it. Uh, obviously, with injuries that happen, um, yeah, and there's there's a limit that you can push. And um, you know, obviously, Paul was a was an incredibly tough competitor and a guy that uh, you know wanted to play so much for that for the Lions, and you know, it obviously meant a lot to him. So he probably tried to do everything he can, and sometimes it's. It's about proving to yourself that it didn't happen. So it's like, well, if I can do this, you know, it's not actually hurting that much and sort of almost proving to yourself. But um, that, uh, yeah, look, it's one of those things that a lot of guys that have, you know, played through a lot, played through a lot of pain, and you know, probably sometimes we we regret it uh, after afterwards in the in the next morning. You, you probably regret <laughs> playing through that amount of pain. But um, yeah, we do some silly things sometimes. Yeah, yeah. There's, there was actually a guy like uh, so I was linked to that and linked to one of the recent uh, Quinns games. Um, you came up against uh, Ian Henderson for for Ulster. That was a really hard fought game there last weekend. But um, you know, as as a kind of fellow lock, what do you kind of make of, of himself as a player? Yeah, look, I think he's a he's a guy that is a is a real workhorse. I think obviously in the the Lions series, he was probably unlucky not to get more tests. Um, you know, I thought he played exceptionally well. Uh, he's a guy that just sort of has that ability to drive his legs through contact you know you might not think that he's going to get through but eventually he just pumps his legs and makes yards um you know you saw on the weekend he sort of rolled his sleeves up you know in, in some pretty awful conditions that you know with the snow coming down and and took the game by the scruff of the neck and you can sort of see why he's a guy that i'd like to play with because he um you know he's a pretty unassuming sort of guy doesn't try and you know not too flashy but just you know they're guys you like to play with just gets in gets his job done and works incredibly hard for the team and I think um, you know he's a great asset to, to Ulster but also he's a great asset to, to Ireland as well and he's, a, he's definitely going to be I imagine a key guy for them moving forward to the 2019 World Cup yeah yeah and we mentioned there a little bit at the start about the Queensland Reds um, they've got Brad Torn now in as their head coach do you, do you kind of keep track of how, how your old team are getting on and uh, you know do you think that they'll do well under Brad yeah look I'll definitely keep in touch with the guys there um, you know, obviously I've got a a big, uh, you know, soft spot in my heart for the Reds. Uh, you know, it's like my home team's my state, you know, where I grew up, who I grew up supporting. So, 
yeah, look, I think, um, you know, hopefully there's got a bit of direction there. You know, there's been a bit of change with with coaches, so hopefully they can get some, um, you know, I guess some consistency there with the coaching department, which, which makes it uh, helpful. And hopefully, if, you know, Brad's now the choice that they can allow him some time to, to get them to perform because it's not, you know, coaching is not, a, is not a quick fix. And, you know, everyone you speak to at the Reds really likes what he's bringing. Um, so hopefully that can transfer into into Super Rugby. They you know they they really enjoy playing for him, and you know he seems to be he's a little bit old school, which is quite nice now in this day and age. Um, you know and the boys will be certainly working pretty hard by by all reports. So it'll be yeah, look, I'll be watching with certainly a keen eye come uh, the start of Super Rugby. And do you get on to the, uh, the the guys in Quinns and uh, when you hear about Quade Cooper and Nick Frisbee and and say here's their their phone numbers, give them a quick shout. <laughs> yeah, well, look, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Look, it's, uh, it's an in- interesting thing that happened, and look, it's you know, Brad's made that call, but yeah, they're two very quality players, so I imagine um, they won't have to look too far to uh, to pick up a job. You know, whether it's over here or in Super Rugby or you know, all around the world, I guess that's an advantage of, of rugby. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where that all ends up, and you know, hopefully everyone can get uh, get best out of the situation they're in now. Does um does it, for some of our listeners like they would love to kind of uh, sometimes we kind of kind of get technical or like what Andy might call it is uh, getting nerdy on a couple of things but maybe just in terms of being a, a lock um just you know anybody if you, a couple of a, bits of advice about maybe a couple of exercises or things to kind of help themselves with their own game anything like that oh look I think the you know the key thing with a lock is that, you know you got to do your core things right particularly here in the north the set piece is critical so the scrummaging and the and the line out stuff is you know should be your bread and butter. Um, you know, something that you can work hard on, you know, continually to make sure your core is strong, which is a critical part to that um, that side of things, making sure, you know, lots of planks and that, those sort of things in the gym that can, you know, allow you to scrum as well because it is a, you are a critical part of, of the scrum and obviously the line out, you know, the spending time studying tape and, and observing opposition you can uh, spend time to sort of understand where where your where your weaknesses are and where their strengths are, so you can you can try and combat them. I think it's a critical part, and you know, look just look to do to do work. That's what you know. You look at lock all the great locks in the world get through get through a mountain of work each game, and it might not be flashy, but you know they get through it and they just continue to get through it. So I think you know having a having a big engine is a, a critical part of of trying to be a good lock, and you know hopefully. You know, you continue to work on that. Your, your, your base fitness levels, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And does it? Does, I suppose, um, yeah, for yourself, like the in terms of maybe nutrition. Um, is, is there any kind of again, like kind of tips you might offer? Is kind of stuff that you've kind of found has kind of helped you over the last couple of years, or kind of um, you know, you look after nutrition, look after yourself. It's just kind of uh, yeah, stuff that's helped your game. Yeah, I think I think certainly uh, as you get a little bit older, the recovery side of things is really important, and something I've probably taken a bigger. Uh, look at than I did probably say when I was in the mid twenties. You know, the, you know, spending time away from rugby, you know, stretching, trigger pointing, releasing those sort of things. I think's uh, a key part for me being a bit older now, being thirty two, and being able to make sure you can, you know, stand the readers week in week out. I think it's important. So that's what um, I've been. You know, something I think is important. You know, your nutrition side of it. You know, you just got to make sure you can balance it right. You know, to to understand what you need to do as a as a as an individual so if you need to you know continue to maintain weight and stay a bit heavier to make sure that you can 
put the weight around the park, then you adjust your, your diet accordingly. And if you're in a bit of a downtime, then probably try not to eat as much um, to make sure that you don't put on that sort of weight. So I think that's just, you know, being sensible. Um, you know, don't have to do anything drastic on either side, but I think it's important to, you know, manage what you're doing from a nutrition side of things. Um, and then, yeah, from a recovery point of thing, you know, spending a lot of time out with massage, trigger pointing, you know, stretching, flexibility, things like that, I, I think has made something that I've done a lot of uh, in recent years, I think, I think is really beneficial. And what's just in terms of calorie count a day when you're kind of, you know, when you're playing and you're busy with training and stuff, what would you be kind of putting away a day? Uh, what are we sort of, I'm trying to think, it's probably eight, six to 8,000 on big days. I sort of manage it to, we sort of use like a green, uh, orange and red light sort of system. So green light is when you're big training days or just before a game. So it's nice when you have a green light day when you can just go for free for all and eat pretty <laughs> That's what you want at that time. And then you know, your sort of moderate days are your orange days and your red days are your off days so you don't eat too much. So, yeah, the clean days, I think, I, I couldn't give you an exact figure, but it would be up towards sort of eight to 10,000 maybe. Yeah. Maybe. But I could be wrong there. But we're quite lucky at the club. We have a, an excellent uh, chef and nutritionist that look after us. So uh, they take care of that for us, which is we're quite lucky with that. And what's it kind of like? I suppose you've been you've been over at Quinns a couple of years now, but the uh, the experience. And I know you guys are playing Northampton Saints on the thirtieth of December as well. But the experience of maybe playing over Christmas, you know, that would be kind of different for you. Did you did you find that strange at the start when you first arrived? Yeah, definitely. It's still strange uh, now. December back home is now summer months. It's our it's our big holidays. Um, so yeah, playing through this period is, is a little bit different. But it's you know it's it's quite nice that it's. Um, you know, in the fact that it is different, you know, I think, you know, playing, I think the first year we were here, the big game was on the 27th. So sort of you're playing, you know, Christmas Day used to be a big, big celebration back home, but you sort of have to watch what you eat and drink mm. on Christmas Day because you're playing in two days' time. So it's, um, look, I think it's a it's a great part. I can understand, you know, the fans love it because it is a big part of, of the year. And, you know, it just it's the fact that it's different and playing sort of New Year's Day, away from home is always interesting as well so it's look it's uh it's a unique thing and you know it's quite nice to have christmas when it's a bit colder as well um you know being in 35 degree heat and 80 percent humidity it doesn't feel that uh christmasy when you sort of think of it as a kid growing up you know with the white christmas and things like that so it's nice to have a bit of cold weather around christmas and get a bit more festive yeah yeah and, and that game again look looking at the um, the league positions for you guys uh, and Northampton it's it really is like uh, it's going to be a, a big day in Twickenham but it kind of must win for the two years as well yeah it is you know these next three premiership matches going to be huge for us uh, we've got Newcastle away uh, just before Christmas which will be a critical game for us and then obviously Northampton in what we call our big game and then um, then sail away um, again another tough place to go and play but you know a result that we really need to Help us sort of springboard us through forward in the in the in the Premiership table before the, the European games, and we lose some players for uh, through Six Nations. Yeah, yeah, and the, yeah. The, the last thing I kind of wanted to ask you, I suppose you've uh, you've well settled in now at this stage, but are you enjoying it? Are you enjoying it over in England, and you know, getting to kind of uh, maybe trips to the Outback Bar in London, something like that. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm really loving it, mate. It's, uh, I sort of came over here with some, a pretty open mind on what was going to happen I just really wanted to experience something different and you know I've loved it I've, uh, the club has been fantastic to me Harlequins have really looked after me since I've been over here the fans 
the players, the, you know, all the staff at the club have, uh, have really welcomed me and my wife with open arms. And, you know, I think I've just really enjoyed a, a change of scenery. It's been great. I've really, you know, I feel it's helped my career. It's, um, you know, really in, invigorized me a little bit more to what I want to do. And, um, look, I think it's something that I'm, you know, really enjoy doing. I'm, I can't wait to play a few more years over here and, and see where it gets to. Yeah, well, listen, brilliant stuff. And, um, yeah, as you said, that the um, hopefully you, you you get back and um, start having an influence on the pitch again. But uh, th- thanks very much for taking the time out and enjoy Christmas. Enjoy enjoy the whole. Hopefully, it uh, doesn't get too cold for you anyway. No, I appreciate that. Thank you very much for having us. Good stuff there from James Horwell. Now we're going to take a trip down memory lane because earlier this year we spoke to former Munster coach Rob Penny, who's now coaching over in Japan. We talked to him about his time in Ireland. Um, have a listen to this. It was one of the most enjoyable things that we did um, on the hard yard so far. It's it's very interesting. Rob, hello, welcome. Thank you. Hello. Hello. How is Japan? It's a unique, uniquely wonderful place. Um, uh, culturally, it's it's you know very very different to anything else you'd experience. But uh, you know those. Uh, um, I guess challenges that you have because of the cultural differences also make it fascinating and um, inspiring, and also um, you know just a really wonderful place to uh, to live. So fortunate to end up here. Yeah, you've been there. This is what your your fourth or fifth season there now. Yeah, this will be my fourth. Yeah. yeah. When you when you think back to to moving over there, what were the first things you hit that hit you about actually? You know, you're getting off the plane. This is now your home because Japan is is a is a very very different kind of culture and society. Yeah, yeah. As I mentioned, it's it's very unique. First things you probably um, experience are the um, you know there's a, a very friendly demeanour amongst the people and uh, a very unassuming and you know, there's a lot of pride here, but there's also a lot of humbleness. Um, and you know, it's a society that's been quite controlled uh, through centuries of um, sort of imperial rule and, and then, uh, more latterly um, well the emperor still exists but there's a government and, and a culture here that's not subservient so much but certainly very reserved and, and, and uh, very private but also um, you know because of the nature of the businesses that are run here there's a, you know, there's a lot of bureaucracy so just just, I guess, getting some of the smaller things done, like bank accounts and phones and, um, you know, those everyday items, uh, you know, can take a bit of time. But once you cut through all that um, and you're prepared just to work with it and not try to, um, you know, not get too frustrated by some of the, the time delays, it's, uh, yeah, it's a wonderful place. It's safe and, uh, you know, the climate's good and, um, you know, it has a lot of, a lot of uh, really special components to it. So tell us about um, rugby there. The national side lit up the World Cup a few years back with that huge win over South Africa. Um, is it the same as club level? Are we seeing an increase in interest over there? Yeah, look, after that, you know, outstanding performance against South Africa, and it was probably, you know, it was probably um, <laughs> a result that was unexpected, but, you know, South Africa were going through a little bit of a tumultuous time and, and uh, it was one of those games where the South Africans would get their noses in front and probably thought they'd had done enough to win and then all of a sudden Japan were pretty tenacious and come back and they would score a try and it was a, an amazing result for Japanese rugby and on the back of that but 
but it was it's also been building over the last few years. My understanding is that you know the public support of rugby's um, you know increasing all the time, and we're regularly getting uh, twenty thousand at, at games, and um, you know that's that's really positive heading into the World Cup. You know they've got a lot of things to get uh, right yet before the two thousand nineteen World Cup is going to you know be staged here. But anyone that comes will have a have an amazing experience. You know, they might find some of the hotels aren't classic five stars you'd expect <laughs> through Europe or through the Americas or whatever. But um, if, if you're prepared just to, um, you know, have a really open mind and experience Japan for what it is, then you, you'll have a, as I say, a uniquely wonderful experience. See, Andy is nodding there. You're, you've been in Japan before, haven't you, Andy? Yeah, two words come to mind about Japanese hotel. The Toto Washlet. <laughs> it's it's you know what I'm talking about, Rob, don't you? Ah, oh, yeah, great experience. <laughs> usually, usually experienced in the privacy of your own uh, in your own moment. But yeah, wonderful. They should. We should, you know, I've been contemplating uh, exporting them because they're they're the, they're the B day and and consummate toilet moment all tied up in one. It is. I was there was one you could play rainforest sounds on it. It was oh unbelievable. You walk in and it's like the Starship yeah. Enterprise. It's lovely. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, you let's try to get in a bit of harmony with those noises, and it's it's quite a fascinating few moments. <laughs> <laughs> the um, the you you guys hosted the Ireland squad last summer um, in Japan. How how do you think um, how do you think they found it? Well, again, you know, when you when you're on tour with a rugby team, you don't get a lot of opportunity. So yeah, we were we were at that uh, Jonas uh, management group and team were able well, we were able to host them um, at our ground. It was, um, and um, I think the facilities met your needs, which was good. And um, then I was um, lucky enough to go and spend an evening with the, the management um, at a at a local New Zealand restaurant, actually, on the top of a um, hotel with which overlooks the Tokyo um, Tower. So it was, yeah, it was a, a lovely few occasions. Then I, I caught up with the, the Munster boys for a a, um, a few hours one evening when they had a bit of time off. So. All in all, I'm sure they had a, a, a really good experience. You know, at the end of a, a pretty tough campaign back home, they were all looking forward eagerly to a bit of a summer break, and um, you know they were satisfied with their Japanese performances, and uh, they all looked in good fiddle. And you know, we uh, yeah had a, a good wee catch up. Rob, I thought you were going to say a, a few beers there, but you went hours instead. Did, did you actually have, a, have 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 a couple of drinks with some of the monster lads? Yeah, we did, um, but very quiet, low key. It was really good because um, you know there was it was just a, a nice occasion. I haven't um, been in contact with a few of them, uh, a lot of them actually, but haven't spoken to them personally, uh, you know, over a over a beer for a long, you know, for a couple of three years since I've been away. So it was great to, um, yeah, it was great to have a little bit of social time and um, you know. Um, just catch up on all their news and what they've been up to and you know a few have had families and been married and um, you know a few have become you know professionals in the in the months to set up now since since I've left uh, who you know a couple of academy members so yeah it was great just to just to socialise and catch up on them personally uh, you know they're great great young men and it's always nice to um, to see them all all doing well and achieving their goals of now being in the Irish setup. So it's the first time that a lot of Irish people would have heard your voice since you left um, Munster. I mean, can we go back a bit and just see, like, 
How did you actually end up there? Because you were coaching ITM Cup before that, you were involved in New Zealand under 20s. What was the journey from there to arriving at Munster for you? Um, well, it was a, it was a, yeah, it was a pretty rapid time. Uh, you know, it, it, it came across uh, via an agent that, that Munster were, you know, looking for a for a new coach, and um, you know, my interest went up immediately, given you know not only New Zealand's history but just Munster's history and the, the ability to have a look at something that would have been, um, you know, a great opportunity for me to coach in not only in Europe but you know with, with a team like that so I threw my name in the hat basically and uh, through due process um, got an opportunity to um, go a bit further got interviewed and uh, yeah the rest rest was history so I was uh, very humbled by initially the approach and then the and then the work that was done primarily by uh, Garrett Fitzgerald and, and one or two others behind the scenes to um, facilitate a really wonderful outcome for me and my family. And what were your what were your expectations going to that job? Uh, look, personally, my expectations is to win every week. Um, so I wanted a, I wanted a, and I guess you know I'd had some success previously with Canterbury and and been part of a Crusaders team that had won the Super Competition back in two thousand five and. Uh, you know, I, I knew Munster had had success for a for a short while, and, and you know they too were desperate to uh, get back on the podium. Um, I knew there was some some big challenges there. Uh, you know, there's a, a number of Kiwis had been through Munster either as players or court resource coaches, and, and, and so during my research, uh, it was clear that that there needed to be. A lot of foundation work being, to be done to to ensure that the I guess the past uh, great history of Munster could have been um, you know could have been achieved once again and and you know I went there fully focused and fully aware of the situation and the challenges and you know I put my heart and soul into it and uh, you know hopefully uh, that although it was only a short period of time um, it was a shame it wasn't longer. Uh, you know, hopefully people respected what I gave, and and, uh, and unfortunately it wasn't as long as I would have loved. But uh, circumstances dictated. Yeah. What were those circumstances? Um, well, look, you know, it was really it was a it was a challenging coaching environment for obvious reasons. Um, you know, um, Axel was someone that was iconic in the place, and he desperately wanted to be head coach. And he would have found my appointment and my, um, you know, turning up there as a as a foreign outside coach probably pretty um, pretty disappointing from his perspective. And look, I, I respect that, understand that, and um, uh, you know, there was a there was a, a large degree of um, the media and, and and you know, in terms of uh, fairness to. The, a lot of supporters would have would have really supported Axel's elevation. Um, I, I really hope that I could have managed my way through that, and and um, uh, and we could have we could have really, um, I guess, had the best of both worlds. Um, what I was hoping to bring and, and his expertise, you know, he, he was he was a fine coach in a lot of ways, and um, 
you know, there was some things that I that I hoped, you know, without being arrogant, that I, that I might have been able to um, teach him. And I'm sure, you know, and there were there was a, there were things that he taught me, and it was, um, but it, it was it was just challenging. I mean, anyone in the in the environment at the time uh, would know, and and it was certainly not helped because of the dual um, base. You know the Limerick base and the Cork base, and I was based in Cork, and um, you know the other guys based in in Limerick, and the and the inability to connect every day and be consistent message-wise, and and um, you know everyone being on the same page all the time is um, was was really difficult, and um, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, so when it came to renewal after two years, um, the organisation had already decided that Simon Lennox wasn't going to be a part of it. And I wanted Simon to stay. And um, so that, that caused another level of, I guess, frustration. Um, and while those negotiation processes were undertaken, um, as, as I made clear at the time, um, there was an approach from from NTT Com here in Japan, and uh, Munster at the time were only prepared to give me one year, and you know the the life of a coach is is challenging enough without having to after you know renewing a contract to be within six months of having to look again. Am I going to have a job or am I not? And NTT Com came through with um, a three year deal, and the family just decided the security of that was just too hard to turn down, and. Uh, yeah, so that's that's where it went, and um, yeah, that's where, um, unfortunately, we parted ways. There's another part to what you're trying to do there, because you're talking about the coaching environment and the weather environment, but there was, you also mentioned the word foundation, and that you were trying to bring something there, and Keith Earls was talking a couple of years after you left, um, and it was a reference to what, to what Pat Lamb did in Connacht, um, talking about the, the game plan, the move to a 2-4-2 structure of the forwards across the park and he was saying that it was the same thing as as you brought to Munster and they didn't take as well to it as Connacht. Now he I think he's referring to the playing side but maybe it's the fans, the media they just, the the expectation was different or whatever um, when, you, when you look back was this the right time the right squad to do that with at Munster or was it just the circumstances were never going to be right for what, we, what you were trying to do? Yeah, look, I don't know if there's ever a right time to, for change. People either embrace it and, and see the end point and the vision that you're trying to, trying to uh, create and actually trying to achieve or, you know, they rebel and, and uh, look at all the negative components to any change. Uh, I, I, I still believe that the squad was capable of doing what we're doing, particularly when we had our, our top squad available. We would have moved eight or nine players out of that squad in year one, and we would move a very similar amount out in year two because the, the, the quality of the, the people that we had in the, in the um, support squad, if you like, the Pro 12 squad when the internationals weren't available, uh, wasn't a standard to be playing top 14 and be competitive. And we inherited that group, um, so the, the core the core group very capable of playing the brand that we were after. The second tier probably not. Um, 
but first year we you know we got into um, Heineken Cup semi-final um, and lost a close one to Claremont and um, you know the, you look back on that with uh, you know it's if the bounce of the ball when it did set up with Felix it just veered and he might have got it down right next to the bar and that game could have been different. We could have seen ourselves in a final. Um, you know, there's moments in those in that in that first year's game that were clearly um, opportunities for us and uh, it could have been it, it could have been different. In the pro league when um, our young boys were given the opportunity probably didn't play as well and hence they weren't recontracted going forward and we tried to and we did I'm I'm very um, sure that the squad was was a lot stronger the second year we had it and it was going to be stronger again the third year we had it Um, I was uh, very very proactive in in trying to recruit better Irish players from within Ireland which, which was challenging too because there was a lot of discourse about bringing outsiders into Munster but it needed to be done because the talent just wasn't in Munster. Uh, the academy at the time, you know, wasn't functioning nearly as well as it needed to be, and there was a lot of effort and energy and behind-the-scenes work by myself and, and a few others that, that got that academy into a position where it was starting to develop more talent, and I think we've seen a bit of a byproduct of that now, which is awesome. Um, so I, I, I actually don't think... Cause, you get caught up in the structure of the game, two four two. That that is a structure that allows um, forwards to be a little more expensive and utilise skill sets. But it also um, one of the well, one of the biggest uh, areas of a two four two system that you need is is um, quality identifiers of space and then the ability to use your skills to get the ball into that space. Whether you're running it, whether you're carrying it, or whether you're kicking the ball into that space. And that was a whole education system because the boys that we inherited had, had spent the last six or seven seasons, I guess it was that long, um, being told where to go, what to do and what decisions to make and when to make them on the field. And so it not, wasn't about the system that was being implemented. It was about it was about educating players how to be decision makers on the park. And I've got a, you know, and I hold this view very dearly that unless I know exactly where the defenders are going to be in any given time then I can't tell you where to attack. You need to be able to see the space and as I say, kick, run or pass that ball into that space based on what the defence is doing and I've never met a coach yet that can exactly tell any player where the defence is going to be in any given time Um, so therefore, the education was all around identifying space and moving the ball into that space, as opposed to a two-four-two structure. That all that allowed people to do was have members in space to be able to capitalise on the space when it arose. And uh, the year two, we got better. We got into another Heineken Cup semi-final down in Toulon. Um, it was, you know, it was tougher. We we got two drawn two French teams in the Heineken Cup in France. Anyone will tell you that's as tough as it gets. And we were very close both times. We lost the first one, I think, by six, the next one by eight. And we got into the um, Pro 12 semi-final against Glasgow, um, up in Glasgow. And uh, we scored a try that wasn't awarded, um, and we missed a conversion. We lost by one point. So I think there were some really positive things happening around the group at the time. Uh, Simon, myself, Cozzy, and, and Axel were working with that group. 
um, you know, but it wasn't plain sailing. And uh, and of course, as you're saying, you know, the media had a really, I, I guess, for some reason, and I, and I and I think it was primarily because we were shifting to a game that Munster traditionally had never endeavoured to play before. Um, there was some resentment, not only amongst the media, but also people that were ex-amongst the players that had a voice in the media and, um, you know, one or two of the supporters. Uh, but, you know, if you look back and you look at purely on results form and purely the growth of the individuals, the path they were on, I firmly believe, was was the right one. Um, and, you know, with a, with a bit more time and some strategic recruitment, I think that... Um, that Munster could have, you know, I mean, they're still having relative success. Um, uh, but I think, you know, there was an opportunity missed, and I'll, I, I do have regrets around it. So, what's the next opportunity for uh, for you? You're contracted until 2019. After that, is it home or back to the Northern Hemisphere? Um, look, I'm, I'm really happy here. As I said, there's some challenges here team I took over had never been in the, I think the highest they'd placed was 11th, so first two years we made 8th, last year we're 5th I think we'll be we'll be challenged to get any higher than that, but there's a lot of passion around our team and the management are really supportive, and uh, the young blokes that, are, that, are, that I've got here um, are excited about what they're doing and are improving, and, you know, we've never had a before I arrived we, and, and uh Bruce Edwards, who, who's had a bit of coaching with the um, Sharks and Devon and a bit of experience with the South African team, him and I philosophically are, are really totally aligned on the, the type of game. Um, so he's, him and I are the only two foreigners in our group. And um, the, the, the young blokes that are coming to us now in terms of recruitment, they see the style we want to play. And I really think it's a, a style that the Japanese... Um, I guess the, the nature of the physical elements that the Japanese possess, our style that we're playing, and, it, and it's an element of the two-four-two, it's an element of one-three-three-one. But again, it's about educating people to find space, and, and um, we're improving in that area, and the boys are really excited, and that, that's inspiring for me. They want to learn, they want to get better, and um, you know we've got time here to to get the nurturing done, and, and the, you know the seeds that we set four years ago. Um, uh, I've started with Jumeirah, as I say, and it's and it's exciting. So I don't, I don't know how much longer I'll be here, but hopefully a bit longer. And it um, yeah, will cross the next bridge down further down the track. But I'm very happy and happy here, and, and trying to help Japanese rugby as much as I can. Rob Penny, thank you very much. And that's a wrap for 2017. Thanks very much for listening to us all year and to everybody who's been part of the show. To Pat McCarry for joining me each week, to Alan McMahon for producing and Paul Donningham for working sound. Happy New Year to you all and to everyone listening right now. Uh, this has been The Hard Yards. I'm Andy McGeady. We'll talk to you in 2018. The Hard Yards, brought to you by Sports Joe.